When I was in seminary, one of the first classes that I had to take was a class called Systematic Theology. Has a, that's a pretty intimid, intimidating name, right? Systematic Theology. It was this year-long course that you were supposed to take your first year of seminary. And I signed up for it because I was told I needed to sign up for it. And then I realized that I didn't even know what, what systematic theology was. I didn't even know what I was about to take. And then I began to, to talk to students that had already taken it once I got on campus. And they began to tell me that it was the hardest class in seminary, that it was the hardest class I was going to take during my three years at Perkins. And I was taking it my first year and it was my very first class. Like it was the first class that I went to on that on that syllabus week. So the first thing that I did after hearing that I wasn't going to have a life my first year of seminary because of this class was Google it. I Googled what what is systematic theology? And this is what I found. Systematic theology is a form of theology. It's a type of study of God where you're trying to arrange religious truths in a self-consistent whole. So in other words, systematic theology is a way of doing theology where where you float up to 10 or 15,000 feet and you begin to connect the dots of the Christian faith in a way that is consistent and in a way that makes sense sense. You take all the different components of our theology and you try to create a system out of them, a system that feeds on one another and almost lays you up for the next step because of who you believe God is. Well, then naturally you believe this about Christ. It's something that we do every week in church. We just don't name it. But if you rise up and and look at our faith, you realize that we have a system of beliefs that make up what we call the Christian faith. So in this class, we looked at all the different doctrines of the faith that we could squeeze into here. So things like, like God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and creation and, and human nature and the process of salvation and where the church fits within all of those things and where the sacraments fit. So including for us communion and, and baptism. And then of course you round it out with a quick look at the end times and how we believe all of this is going to come to an end when Jesus returns. So you connect all of those dots together so that you can put it neat and tidy in a box and just put a bow on it, right? I mean, that sounds easy, doesn't it? That's it. That's all you have to do is just connect all of those dots together. Well, to to make it even tougher, I think you probably already know this, but to make it even tougher, every denomination, every theologian, every scholar has a slightly different way of putting those pieces together so that it makes a self-consistent whole. So, so that first year of, of seminary, that, that class kind of had two movements within it that happened simultaneously. The first was to study systematic theology. So we were reading all these writers and, and theologians and pastors and, and belief statements from from denominations that forced us to consider other perspectives, that forced us to see inside of other systems. And and the point was to read stuff that we maybe never read before and and wouldn't read on our own, and also to read theology where we would agree with some of it, but probably also disagree with parts of it as well. Because the second movement of, of that class was to write our own systematic theology. And of course, that project is why the class had such a gnarly reputation, right? Because that is such an intimidating 
project. At the end of this, you're going to be someone that has written their own systematic theology. Before you get out of this class, you're going to have to connect all of those dots in your own words. So it ended up being this, this 30 to 40 page paper where I, I did my best to connect all of those dots, all of those dots of the Christian faith, the way that I thought they should be connected. And it was one of the hardest, but one of the most rewarding projects that I ever did because it forced me to articulate my faith in a way that I had never articulated it before. And I think I grew in my understanding of what it means to be a Christian, of who Jesus is, and and, and how we as a people of faith are called to live in response to what we believe. So why does all that matter this Sunday? Well, we're going to read a passage from the book of Romans, which is a letter that an early church pastor named Paul wrote to a community in, in Rome. And usually when we look at Paul's other letters, they're very specific, right? He's writing to address a very specific issue that's happening within the life of one of his early churches. And Romans is a little bit different from the rest of Paul's letters. Romans is really the only letter that gives us a glimpse into Paul's systematic theology. In his letter to the Romans here, Paul actually lays out a lot of the components of the Christian faith and shows us how he would organize them, how he would lay them out for one of his early churches in a cohesive and consistent and logical way. And you can get an idea of how the rest of Romans reads just from the short text that we're going to read together this this morning. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 5, and we're just going to read five verses, but man, they are a dense, dense five verses. So let's read it together this morning. Romans 5, 1 to 5. The result is this. Since we have been declared in the right on the basis of faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, through whom we have been allowed to approach by faith into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. That's not all. We also celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience. And patience produces well-formed character. And a character like that produces hope. And hope in its turn does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul covers a lot of ground in five verses, doesn't he? Made right by faith, peace with God through Jesus Christ, obtaining access to that grace through Jesus, celebrating in our afflictions or in our, in our sufferings, unashamed of our hope, the love of God being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which is what we talked about last week for Pentecost Sunday. That's like five or six massive theological concepts that Paul crams into those five verses, which is exactly how systematic theology reads. Because Jason, if you'll leave it up on the screen, I don't know if it's still up there, you can almost see the dots connecting, can't you? You can see him building those concepts, because before you know it, you look back and and you have a picture of, of what we believe as Christians. Paul also incorporates every single member of the Trinity into those five verses. Peace from God, access to grace through Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. 
as I was reading this this week and kind of reflecting back on my time in, in that class where I was forced to articulate my faith in that unique way, here's what I found myself thinking about, about just our, our church today, Big, Big C Church, not, not just this church. That oftentimes we as the church, we don't really do a good job of teaching theology like this. To the point where I'm betting if someone came up to you in the street and asked you a question like, like, how do you believe God is working and moving in your life? Or even just asked you a question of, of what do you believe? What, what do you mean when you say that you're a Christian? What, what do you believe? You might have a hard time figuring out where to start. Or at least I feel like that sometimes. I, I just have a hard time figuring out where I would even start to answer a question like that, which I think is a problem for us. I think we should be able to articulate our faith in that sort of way. We should have our answers to that question. So what I want to do this morning is really simple. I just, I just want to tell you how I would answer that first question. How is God working and moving in your life? How do you believe God is active in your life? And, and it has to do with how we in the United Methodist Church how we, how we think of and how we talk about grace. And it also incorporates all three persons of the Trinity. So this sermon is going to be a bit more teachy than usual and a bit less preachy. But I think it's really important for us to every once in a while just, just spend some time trying to hammer some of these things out to make sure we actually understand what we believe God is doing not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those around us. So if you've been in this United Methodist circle for very, for very long, you know that when we say the word grace, we're actually talking about three different types of, of grace. I'm sure you've heard these words before. Those three different types of grace are prevenient grace, justifying grace, and, and sanctifying grace grace. And we have a metaphor that we use across our denomination to help people think about the way these types of grace play off of each other, and it's using a house. So for us, the metaphor starts on the porch. So for us, the porch is prevenient grace. So, so think about, like, just close your eyes and just think about your, your dream porch, right? It's a nice, big wraparound porch. It's a common space. It's a it's a welcoming space. It's a much less intimidating space to hang out, to hang out on. Like sometimes if you don't want to actually go into somebody's house, you'll, you'll step on their porch, right? You'll, you'll sit down and visit on the porch. You may not be ready to actually go in, but you'll have a conversation with them on the porch. If it's a good porch, it's shady. It has a nice cool breeze that blows across the deck. And friends, that's kind of what God's prevenient grace is like. Everybody is welcome on the porch. Come hang out, get something to eat, get something cold to drink, stay as long as you like, leave whenever you like. Prevenient grace, or sometimes as we call it, the grace that comes before, is how we articulate God's first reach towards us as a people of faith. That, that primary Trinitarian player, like the person in the Trinity that we most attribute that grace to is God the Father. And we believe that because of prevenient grace, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you know or don't know about God, prevenient grace is working and moving in your 
life. In other words, God is reaching out to you at all times, no matter if you're aware of it or not. That's why we baptize babies in the United Methodist Church. Because we believe that because of prevenient grace, God is already working and moving in their lives despite their unawareness. And we celebrate that grace by baptizing them as infants. But what people don't realize is that that this prevenient grace continues throughout our entire life. I love that we baptize babies, but I almost find it even more powerful to carry that grace throughout the life of a believer. Because it shows us that whether we are a baby or a deeply devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that God is working and moving in our life in ways that that we don't see, in ways that we maybe don't understand, in ways that we perhaps aren't aware of yet. That God, whether we can see it and feel it or not, God is always reaching out to us through that prevenient grace. That prevenient grace is is God's action towards us that we can't yet see or feel. Because God makes that first, first reach out to us, and then, friends, God never stops reaching because everyone is welcome on the porch, right? But there does, there comes a time where you probably get ready to go inside the house, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the porch the porch is nice, but eventually it's going to get a little hot outside. Or, or that breeze that was blowing across the deck, it may stop for a second. Or you, maybe you need to go inside and use the bathroom, or, or you're tired of sitting on porch furniture and you're ready to sit in something that has a little bit more cushion. I don't know what it would be, but eventually you hit a point where you're, you're just you're ready to go inside which is where the door comes into the picture, where it comes into the metaphor. So, so the door of the house in our metaphor is justifying grace. It's that second type of grace that we mentioned. There, there's a moment where we actually walk into the house, where we cross that entry threshold. And there's also a moment where we reach out and we grab the doorknob and we twist it and we push the door open. And then we decide that we're going to what? We're going to walk through that threshold into the house. And that moment, of course, is meant to symbolize when we choose to follow Christ. Because that's different, isn't it? The first action is God reaching out to us, but then you see the second action is what? Us reaching back out to God. Because the provenient grace got us on the porch. But it's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that there's a door in front of us waiting for us to reach out and grab and and use. But notice the door doesn't open on its own, does it? It's not an automatic door. We, we have to decide to, to reach out and, and grab it and push it and open it and actually walk into the house. And look, the door is there for anyone to, to open. It has nothing to do with whether we deserve it or not. It doesn't matter how long you've been on the porch, but the choice to cross that threshold and then to choose a walk with Christ is there for anyone who would take it. The house is also open to anyone who's willing to open the door. What I, what I love about this part of the metaphor is I think it illustrates 
what I believe so many Christians get just a little bit wrong about what it means to walk with Christ, because it, I think it helps us seeing how helps us see how our our faith journey it doesn't stop with justifying grace. It, it doesn't stop with that moment of salvation. That's not a finish line. Really, it's just the it's just the beginning. I mean, don't get me wrong, when we walk through that threshold and and we open that door, we are forever changed. We are different. Our lives are different. It's a leap of faith. And it's a moment that that is oftentimes built up and and climactic in the life of a believer where they finally reach out and choose to follow Jesus. But it's not a finish line. It's a starting point. It's an entryway into the Christian life. Because once we walk through that door, where do we find ourselves? We're in the house. All of a sudden, all of a sudden we're inside the house. Once we decide to walk in the house, we get to live in the house. It becomes our home. Once we're inside the house, that's when our metaphor changes and we start talking about sanctifying grace. Because once we're inside the house, that's really where our work begins. Because for justifying grace, Jesus does all the work for us, right? All we have to do is reach out and believe. All we have to do is open a door. The reason the door is there is not because we built it. It's because Jesus put it there for us. But sanctifying grace, that's, that's where the real work begins for us. And we attribute sanctifying grace, of course, to the work in the presence of the Holy Spirit among us, that, that breath of God that is always leading us and, and guiding us and, and pushing us to grow and shaping us and molding us. Because that, that sanctifying grace, it's working and moving in us and for us, and what it does is it sets us up for a lifelong journey of growth. For a lifelong journey of growth where we seek to look more like Jesus and act more like Jesus. That's why I say those words almost every week. Because for many of us here, we are living most of the time in that grace. In that grace of seeking to look more like Jesus looks. And the only reason that's possible is because of the Holy Spirit working and moving within us. And it involves seeking out what God is calling us to do. It involves seeking out who God created us to be, figuring out what God-given passions that we have and where they intersect with the needs of the world. That means growing in our ability to love God and and, and to love neighbor. And and this journey, this is the most important part, This, this journey, this shaping, this growth that only happens because of the Holy Spirit within us, it never stops. It never stops. It's a lifelong journey of growth. There is always a way that we can look more like Jesus and act more like Jesus. So you see, we never really arrive. There's always another step that we can take. Always something more that God is calling us to do. Always a way that we can become just a little bit more like like Jesus and become just a little bit more perfected in love. There's always something we can do to fix up the inside of that house. There's always just, just even if it's just something little that, 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 we can, that we can do. And that's what I believe. That, that's my answer to that question. How is God working and moving in your life? That's, that's my answer. 
God is either working in a way that I can't see, that I'm not aware of, but I trust that he's working, or he's working in a way that that redeems me and saves me through the person of Jesus, or God in some way is molding me and, and pushing me so that I can grow, so that I can grow in my faith and grow in my ability to live out the life that God is calling me to live. I think it helps us understand what Paul is writing when we begin to see what our own system is as a people of faith. We celebrate in our sufferings. That's what Paul says, right? We, we celebrate in our sufferings because we know that even if we can't see it, even if we don't understand it, even if we aren't aware of it, God is always reaching out to us through that prevenient grace. We celebrate the hope and the glory of God because we know that God is saving us and and redeeming us and, and closing the gap between us and God that's caused because of our sin through the person and the ministry of Jesus, through his saving power and through that justifying grace. It's nothing we could do to earn, but the door is always there for us to open. And we cling to that hope. That's how Paul ends that passage. We, we cling to that hope because we know that God is molding us and shaping us to be more like him, to love like him and, and act like him and, and to see the world like, like he does and discover our purpose and our, and our passion and what potential lies within us through that sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. When we zoom out and we try to begin to put the pieces together and we look at the system what I think we see, what what I was reminded of this week is that there is not one single area of our lives where God's grace is not active. That's what I saw again for the first time this week, that there is not one single corner of our life where God's grace is not active. There's not one moment of our existence from when we are born to when we die that God's grace is not surrounding us us. Friends, that's what we believe. That's how we believe God is working and moving in the world around us. It's in and through that all-encompassing grace that we believe surrounds us at all times. It's why we sing. It's why we hope. And it's who we are as a people of God, a people that are seeking to experience that grace, and then a people that are seeking to live it and live it in such a way that it reveals it to other people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.